0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Hopefully you all have some plans for tomorrow. It's supposed to rain, so hopefully it doesn't <laughs> interfere with your plans. We started a series, a uh, two-part series last week called God and Country. And we'll catch you up a little bit. If you were missed last week, it's on the, our website if you want to listen to it. But today's topic is lo- Law and All. Now, we have many debates going on in our country Debates uh, of Democrat-Republican, liberal-conservative, those with a lot and those with a little, um, socialism, uh, lots of other debates. But all of them are are kind of on the surface, and behind all of those is a debate we don't discuss. (laughs) And uh, that's when we started talking about last week was about a national conscience Uh, Is it okay to talk about God politically? And it's become not okay, but for most of our history, it has been okay. In fact, that was basis up into the 50s of our national conscience. So We talked about conscience last week. Conscience is that internal part of us that informs our oughts and ought nots. So people have conscience... So you have certain things you think are okay and certain things you think are not okay, and so do I. Families have conscience. We talked about that. You know, in our family, we didn't do yard work on Sunday. Some of your families, you do yard work on Sunday. We have different oughts and ought nots. Uh, Churches have oughts and ought nots. Uh, Some churches, you can't dress like this. Uh, Other churches, you can, right? There are certain oughts and ought nots. And nations have conscience. And uh, we talked about last week, uh, if you're a good American, you just don't litter. And most of you probably teach your kids not to throw trash out the window of the car, and your parents probably taught you that. You go to other countries, they don't even see the trash. So nations have oughts and ought nots. So we wanted to talk about our nation's oughts and ought nots. And so what's happened is, and for most of our history, it has been, in God we trust, and in fact, that was declared our national motto in the 1950s, <laughs> In God We Trust. And now it's pretended to become In We We Trust. Another way to say the same thing is this. It's become, instead of being, it's grateful and accountable, we're grateful to God and accountable to God has become we're ungrateful and unaccountable. Uh, it's because it's in we. If it's me, I don't need to be grateful to anybody else and I'm not accountable to anybody else. And so when you lose in God we trust as the basis of your conscience, what, something has to replace it, right? And what is that? And we said last week it is laws replace in God we trust in our conscience. So if I don't feel accountable to God to, to, to do things or not to do things, the government has to force me <laughs> to do things or not to do things. And I just got my tax bill yesterday. You all get your tax bill yesterday? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's part of our government. And that they force us to do things. That's part of our conscience. Uh, to support schools and roads and so forth. So, laws continue to replace conscience when I don't have an internal conscience. <clears throat> now, the problem with laws being our conscience is this. Who determines who enforces the law? And it is judges, right? And probably the worst example I can think of, in the 1970s, a group of Supreme Court... How many? Nobody answered this in the first service. How many Supreme Court judges are there? Nine. I thought there was nine. I know it was an odd number. I said nine, but I wasn't sure. So there was nine. So nine guys, or maybe there was a woman involved, I don't know. Nine judges decided that abortion was okay. So up until then... Our national conscience was abortion is not okay. And because nine judges decided, now our national conscience says abortion is okay when it wasn't. And uh, so that's the problem when law becomes our conscience. So, consequently, (laughs) what you need is money to pay for a good lawyer, right? Right? And we all know cases where somebody had lots of money, got off with something that we knew they were guilty of, and they got off. Cash replaces conscience, right? Because cash can afford you a good lawyer. So that's some of the problems we're dealing with this transformation in our national conscience. In fact, it boils down to this. I'm not guilty unless I'm caught, Right? If law is your conscience, if I, law doesn't catch me, then I'm not guilty. When it's based on God, then yes, I'm guilty if I am breaking God's law, uh, oughts and ought nots, uh, whether they're technically God's law or not, just doing, being kind and doing nice things for people. So this whole conversation of God and country, though, becomes uncomfortable, doesn't it? And we talked about how it's, how it's just not okay to talk about God in a political realm anymore. Now, we say it's, we not want, don't want to talk about it for a couple different reasons. One, um, other people have other gods, other people don't have any gods, so it's not right or it's not fair that we talk about God when there's other people that don't believe in God. But that's a crazy argument because we talk about lots of other things that a lot of people don't believe in. Uh-uh. And our nation was founded on that, even though not all those folks believed in it either. We've gotten kind of to the place where we think we're smart enough, we don't need God. Um, And I don't know what's happened in the last 50 years. Uh, I guess people, my parents grew up in a depression, (laughs) and we're going to talk about prosperity here in a second. Uh, We think we're too smart. In fact, what is the main reason that we've separated God out of the political conversation. It's none of those things I just talked about. It's our affluency. Prosperity without gratitude makes us arrogant. Prosperity without gratitude makes us arrogant. In fact, you know what the number one complaint of people in other countries when Americans come to visit, what they say about Americans? They complain about our arrogance because of our fluency. That's it. That's the number one complaint. And it's because they can see something we don't see. We all have it, so we don't see it. But foreigners can see it. Maybe foreigners that come to this country can see it. I don't know. But I know it's the biggest complaint outside our country. So we're going to look at something that Moses wrote, a talk he gave, a speech he gave, before the Israelites went into the promised land, and Moses didn't get to go, so he was their leader for 40 years, and they gave them this kind of pep talk uh, before they went into the, to the promised land. Uh, but before we get there, there's this passage of Scripture in Proverbs that I think would suggest to you is a good prayer for us to pray every day. So I wanted to go over that with you first. Uh, first, help me never tell a lie. It's always good to tell the truth, right? And second, and here's the part I wanted to to emphasize. It's here. Give me neither poverty nor riches. (laughs) we got something going on up here. Neither give me poverty or riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Do you ever pray this prayer? You You probably don't. Now here's the reason. For if I grow rich, now let me just say this: all of you are rich. we talked about this before, right? On the world scale, you're probably all in the top five percent, or maybe even higher, top two or three uh, percent, as far as wealth. So it's not if we are. So we've grown rich. I here's the danger: I may deny you and say, "Who is the Lord? I've got all this stuff. I don't need you, the Lord." And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Now, most of us don't worry about that one too much, but we don't worry about the other one either. It should concern us that our wealth will deny you and say, who is the Lord? So increasingly, our nation, we, our nation, are saying, who is the Lord? And it's not because we don't want God in a political conversation. It's because of our affluency, our prosperity, got so much who needs God. Now the interesting thing is, the reason we could get to the place where we can leave God out of the conversation is because when God was in the conversation, we had the right to believe other things, right? So God was in the spotlight, gave us the right to get God out of the spotlight. So Moses is going to give the Israelites his pep talk and then he's going to be out of the scene. Um, Israelites have been in slavery. they wandered around for 40 years in the desert and those who were ungrateful died in the desert. They never got to see the promised land. And the basis of this talk is that Moses hopes that God's law would shape their conscience. What law did they live under for 400 years in Egypt? They lived under slave law. What is your conscience under slave law? You have no conscience, right? You have no choices. You are... Everything, you're told everything to do. So there is no oughts and ought nots other than what the slave owner tells you. So they've got to transition from slave law to something. And so Moses has been leading the people for 40 years, teaching them about God. And this is his his kind of farewell speech. He gives them the Ten Commandments again. And he gets to chapter 8. And we're going to cover this. And it sounds so appropriate for our nation. Today. So let's read. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in the way his ways and fearing him. Now notice the connection between law and God. Obey the commands of the laws of the Lord your God. And you do this by fearing him or respecting him or honoring him. Uh, this is the way we all do this. If you go to somebody's house and they have some kind of rules, like take your shoes off. Some people, when they come to our house, say, well, I need to take my shoes off. We say, no. Some of you, you know, like people to take your shoes off. All right? That's kind of the law of the house. And you respect that or you honor them. You don't technically fear them, but you want to respect them, so you obey the law. Right? Well, Moses is saying to the Israelites, if you want to honor God and respect God, you're going to obey God. Laws. Now, the, the wonderful thing about God's laws, are they're, they're, they're for our benefit. Taking your shoes off, I don't know if that, that's for their benefit, I guess. But God's laws are for our benefit, so it's win-win, right? So then he goes on. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. And if you read it, it talks about, you know, all this water and all this produce. There's pomegranates and honey and olives and all this stuff and then he concludes in verse 9 by saying this, In the land where food, it is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. Does that, does that describe our nation? What do we lack? Do we lack anything? We have so, so much. And anything, we're lacking. So, we live in a promised land. or equivalent of a promised land. And he says... In this land where fruit is plentiful and nothing is lacking, when you've eaten your fill, not if. The same thing with us, right? We don't have to say, if you eat your fill. Most of us don't have that problem. We eat more than our fill, right? (laughs) So if we've eaten your fill, be sure. To what? To praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now here's the thing. When you've got this land, you've got all this produce, you've got all this stuff, in our case, where's it come from? Now, what's happened is we believe we've, it's come from us. But ultimately, and we're we'll going to talk about this in a minute, it's given to us by God. Did any of you choose to be born in America? Some of you have moved here, maybe. No, you didn't choose to be born in America. That was given to you, right? It was given to you by God. So make sure you give credit to the source. In this in this case, of course, give praise to God. Why is it we he, Moses reminding them, and we need to be reminded? <clears throat> it's because we're grateful to the one that we need to give credit to, and he's saying God. And we should we would say God, but our nation said no. It's us. And we, we trust. So he goes on. But that is the time when you've had your fill and you're prosperous, and that's what we are as a nation. That is the time to be careful. Warning, warning. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget, again, the Lord your God. And disobey His commands. Because if you forget Him, you don't care about His commands and you don't obey those. Regulations, decrees, etc., that I'm giving you today, and part of those was the Ten Commandments, as I said. So what's the problem? Why do we have to be so careful? Because in our prosperity, we lose dependence on God, right? And that's why probably during the Depression, (laughs) it's an issue in uh, our nation. But it is now, because we are so prosperous. We don't need God, or we don't think we need God. So we lose our dependence on God. And he's not finished. He's going to go on with this. Because this is a big, big issue. And I believe it's an issue in our nation. <clears throat> For when you become full, not again, if you become, and, and prosperous and have built fine homes. Do we have fine homes? I know I have a fine home. I know some of you. you most of you have fine homes. And when your flocks and her Herds, most of us don't have those. Marches, maybe, but the rest of us don't. <laughs> no. But you have stuff and you have things and become large, and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else. You probably have bank accounts and maybe stocks and retirement funds and all these things. Everything else. Be careful. We think, ah, now I can relax, right? I can let my guard down. No, 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 no. That's the time you have to be more careful. <clears throat> Do not become proud. See, it's hard to be humble when you're prosperous. And God loves the humble and he, he hates the proud. So he says, not to become a proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Now, they are only 40 years removed. Uh, we are 200 some years removed from, I won't say slavery, but uh, being a Colony of England. <clears throat> so what's the problem? We get to the place where we think, I did it. I accomplished it. I deserve the credit. And we become a nation of who is the Lord? Don't need the Lord. In fact, he says it in the next, in the next part of his speech. He says this. He did all this so you would never say to yourself what? Look what I've done. Look what I have achieved. I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. And when we think that way, what's the problem? Again, no, I'm not accountable to anybody. If I've earned this, if I've done this, I deserve the credit and I'm not accountable to anybody else. Now the free enterprise system is great, but it comes with some potential problems. A couple of those are this. One, hoarding. I've never watched this show, but there's probably the show on TV about hoarding. you would be able to just keep accumulating stuff just to have stuff. It sounds crazy to me. I'm always trying to simplify and get rid of stuff at my house, but hoarding. Should anybody hoard? Does anybody have the need to hoard? Of course not. But only in a prosperity that we have, can people do that? People in third world countries, they don't hoard, do they? They don't have that opportunity, they don't have that potential. And the other side is injustice. If I'm not accountable to anybody, then I don't need to treat you fairly, do I? I don't have to treat you nicely, I don't have to be kind to you, because it's all about me, because I've accomplished, I've achieved this wealth on my own strength and energy. Isn't that kind of the uh, the, uh, American motto? So he goes on, remember that the Lord your God, he is the one who gives you the power to be successful. And this is really, really important. I don't know what you've accomplished. Maybe you've accomplished a lot in your life. That's fantastic. <laughs> but the only reason you've been able to accomplish what you've been accomplished, have accomplished, is because of what God has given you the life God's given you and the strength God's given you and the intelligence God's given you and the skills God has given you, you might have developed them. You know, some of you are musical. You may have taken lessons. I could take all the lessons in the world. I wouldn't be very musical, all right? Why? Because God didn't give me that. God gave it to you and all the the things that you have. The only reason you, every breath you and I have, the reason you're not sick, you know, and have some illness, uh, all of that is because of, we would say, God's grace. God has given that to you. You haven't earned it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't choose it in most cases. God just gave it to you. And how arrogant it is to say, I did this in my own strength, in my own ability. God could take it away from you just like that, couldn't he? From me. Take away your ability. Take away your life. Take away your health. So gratitude to God should drive our lives. We should be just so grateful uh, for the job you have and the ability you have to work and the stuff you've accomplished and the stuff you've accumulated and the nice houses you have, and the nice cars you drive. We don't have too many jalopies out in our parking lot here. Most of you have really nice cars, right? Gratitude to God. Then he goes on <clears throat> But I assure you of this, (laughs) a warning. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Now, most of us don't have statues of gods in our house, but we have gods. We have gods of stuff, gods of pleasure, gods of whatever. Anything that replaces the Lord God. he says, warning, you will be destroyed. Now, Now, did this happen to Israel? Yeah, big time. I'm a student of history. I was a history major in college, and I've seen it over and over and over. And that's my fear. That's my reservation about our country, where it's headed. I think this is the last verse we're going to read. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, he also will destroy you if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. Now, does God destroy nations? I don't know. I mean, he can and he has. But I think mostly it's just natural consequences. It's kind of reap what you sow. When you do the good stuff, good stuff happens. When you do not so good stuff, not so good stuff happens. Nations rise because they do the good stuff, the hard stuff, and they get lazy and do the the bad stuff. Nations fall. So increasingly, we are a nation that's saying, who is the Lord? It's all about... Me. Well, we can be sad or we can be hopeful. I'm actually hopeful. I haven't seen too many cases in history where uh, things have turned around. But it's possible because it's not always been this way, has it? I'll give you a couple of illustrations and then we'll wrap this up. In June of 1944, in the midst of World War II... the Allied forces were planning to invade Europe. The Germans knew it. We knew it. They didn't know when or where, but they knew it was going to happen. So on June 6, 1944, probably the largest military endeavor in all history, 180,000 people were involved. Uh, the Allied forces invaded uh, Normandy and uh, began to push the Germans back and began the end Beginning of the end for the uh, of World War II. Amazingly, we kept that secret from 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 the Germans. I I mean, that's just a God thing in itself. And we had all these tremendous preparations. We did all we could for that invasion. And so, after that invasion took took place, the president at that time was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He addressed the nation on the radio. And what he, what he did was pray this prayer. And I don't have the whole thing, but here's the gist of it. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation this day have set upon a mighty endeavor. Lead them straight and true. Give them strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. These men are largely drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They yearn for the end of battle, for the return to the haven of home. Some will never return, of course. Embrace these, Father, and receive them. Thy heroic servants into thy kingdom. And, O Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Amen. June 1944. Our president prayed that prayer here's some things that happened the New York Daily News threw out its lead article and printed in his place the Lord's Prayer Lord and Taylor never opened at all President Walter Hoving sent his 3,000 employees home to pray even the New York Stock Exchange called for two minutes of silent prayer before opening that day it's not that long ago Aren't you glad that God wasn't removed from government? Especially with the next big thing to happen in our nation about 20 years later. And this movement was led not by a president, but by a Baptist preacher. And then... June, uh, August, I believe it was, 1963, right in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., this Baptist preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King got up and gave a now-famous speech. And here's some excerpts from that speech. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all Who? God's children. He's appealing to our national conscience. I have dreamed that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed and even quotes from our, as we talked about last week, our constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident, obvious, not even questionable, that all men are created equal. And then he quotes from a Negro spiritual Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And so, appealing to our national conscience, uh, the Civil Rights Movement was birthed and became successful, and our nation was changed. And that was just in, in the 1960s. So aren't you glad that, that, that God wasn't removed from the national conversation in the 1960s? as it has been today. Because when we remove God from the national conversation, there's huge dangers. We become ungrateful. We become unaccountable. And we come to the place where we're not even assured civil rights. So we've got to take a stand. We can't allow God to be removed from the national we're not talking about separation of church and state. We're not talking about establishing a state religion. For 200 years, the basis of our national conscience is in God we trust. But increasingly, we're a nation that is saying, who is the Lord? So whatever part you and I can play, whether it's to vote in our elections, to be involved in the political debate... We can't let God continually be removed. Someone said, hey, that teaching last week reminded me of something I've seen. Most of you probably don't remember or don't even know. There was a comedian on TV in the 60s by the name of Red Skelton, and he addressed, actually, the Pledge of Allegiance, which he said, added under God in the 1950s.
1: I remember a teacher that I had. Now, I only I went I went through the seventh grade. I went to the seventh grade. I left home when I was ten years old because I was hungry. And I used to. This is, this is true. I work in the summer. I go to school in the winter. But I had this one teacher. it was the principal of the Harrison School in Vincennes, Indiana. To me, this was the greatest teacher, a real sage of of my time. Anyhow, he had such wisdom, and we were all reciting the Pledge of Allegiance one day. And he walked over, this little old teacher, Mr. Lasswell was his name, Mr. Lasswell, and he says, um,
0: <laughs>
1: he says, I've been listening to you boys and girls recite the Pledge of Allegiance all semester, and it seems as though it's becoming monotonous to you. If I may, may I recite it and try to explain to you the meaning of each word? I, me, an individual, a committee of one, pledge, dedicate all of my worldly goods to give without self-pity. Allegiance, my love and my devotion to the flag, our standard, O glory. A symbol of freedom, wherever she waves, there's respect because your loyalty has given her a dignity that shouts freedom is everybody's job united that means that we have all come together states individual communities that have united into forty eight great states forty eight individual communities with pride and dignity and purpose for which it stands. One nation, one nation, meaning so blessed by God, indivisible, incapable of being divided with liberty, which is freedom, the right of power to live one's own life without threats, fear, or some sort of retaliation. And justice, the principle or qualities of dealing fairly with others, for all, for all. Which means, boys and girls, it's as much your country as it is mine. And now, boys and girls, let me hear you recite the Pledge of Allegiance.
0: He goes on to say, two things have changed since he was a boy. Two states were added to the nation. There's now 50. And two words were added to the Pledge of Allegiance under God.